Greetings to my lovely audience. My name is Sylvan. I use he, him pronouns, and welcome to the final episode of season one of LGBTQSU. For this final episode, I have a unique opportunity to use this as my final for my thought class this year. Hello, Professor McDonnie. For this project, we were assigned two prompts for a research project, one of which being diversity in your major, where we had to study some aspect of diversity in our future career field. And as many of you might know, I am undeclared, but at the time, I was thinking of being a teacher, and since this topic is very near and dear to my heart, I decided to focus on LGBTQ diversity in schools. Eventually, my research question developed into, to what extent are LGBTQ students silenced and their materials censored in schools, and how does this affect these students? I guided my research by focusing on five major points, LGBTQ student life, silencing and censorship, causes, causations, and solutions. By organizing my research this way, I was able to assess all of the aspects of the issue and come to the conclusion that LGBTQ content is being censored in schools by administration and self-censored by staff, and queer students are being silenced. This has led to decreased quality of life for these students and must be remedied by increased access to queer content. Now we can move on to the first topic of my research, LGBTQ student life. I began my research here as I wanted to establish the impetus, both for myself and you, the audience, for this issue. After all, the issue of diversity in schools doesn't matter if queer students' lives are peachy keen. And for us queer folk that have gone through the American education system, we know that this simply isn't the case. But let's look at the data. So the primary setup for this for the information for this section will be first kind of listing off the various significant points that each article I researched mentions. Finally, I will go through a collection of statistics first from GLSEN surveys and then two additional surveys which come from multiple articles. So I will begin with the article School Climate and Sexual and Gender Minority Adolescent Mental Health by Sharon Colvin. Uh, she found that in 2015, a youth behavior risk survey found that 60% of sexual minority youth reported experiencing feelings of sadness or hopelessness compared to 26% of straight youth. LGBTQ students were also found to be more likely to experience bullying and victimization because of their sexual or gender identity, which are, quote, associated with poor mental health outcomes. She also listed a study with transgender youth that found one in three experienced victimization, which they specifically linked to poor mental health and belonging in school. The study found that transgender youth are more likely to be truant, meaning to skip school, due to feeling unsafe at school or substance abuse, and are more likely to have lower grades and to feel unsupported in school. This next article further dives into the life of transgender students, exploring the rhetoric, how state gender diversity laws address rights for gender diverse students by Emily Trashinsky et al. This article finds that transgender youth are more likely to be at risk for higher rates of anxiety, depression, self-harm, and suicidal thoughts and attempts. The article, Who, What, Where, When, and Why, Demographic and Ecological Factors Contributing to Hostile School Environment by Joseph Koskiew et al proves the significance of these increased rates, as harassment and discrimination have been linked to absenteeism, increased discipline problems, and lower levels of academic achievement. This harassment has also been linked to substance abuse and attempted suicide. Not only can it be speculated, but it has been, it has been proven through research that the negative school climate for queer students directly contributes to lower quality of life. On the flip side, this next article, School Practices to Foster LGBT Supportive Climate by Amy Gower et al., shows that students attending schools where they report feeling safer are reporting less violence, bullying, absenteeism, and harassment than those who report feeling less safe. Unfortunately, LGBTQ students are still reporting significantly higher rates of bullying compared to straight peers, quote, a gap that appears to be widening. 
This gap can be observed in the GLSEN National School Climate Surveys, coming from multiple articles and spanning almost a decade. This information comes from, in order, the article, They Kind of Rely on the Library, by Shannon Oltman, Selection or Censorship, School Librarians and LGBTQ Resources, by Candy Pierce-Gary, and Advocacy for and with LGBT Students, an Examination of High School Counselor Experiences, by Mario Gonzalez. Of these National School Climate Surveys, in 2007, the survey found that 86% of LGBT students report verbal harassment based on sexual orientation, and 67% report verbal harassment based on gender identity. In 2011, the survey found that 80% of queer teens report verbal harassment for their queer identity with sexual orientation versus gender identity not being specified here, though reporting that 38% report physical harassment for their sexual orientation and 27% report physical harassment for their gender identity. The 2013 survey found that more than half of LGBTQ students felt unsafe in school due to their sexuality, with 65% hearing homophobic comments frequently, more than half of which heard such comments from teachers and school staff. They reported a significant amount of harassment, assault, and discrimination due to sexuality and gender expression. Finally, in 2016, the survey found that 66% reported discrimination based on their sexual orientation or gender expression. These last two surveys are from the Exploring the Rhetoric article. The 2017 National School Climate Survey found that 87% of LGBTQ youth experience harassment at school based on identity and 70% experience based on sexual orientation with 59% based on gender. 35% of trans students reported missing or not attending school with 43% avoiding bathrooms and 41% avoiding locker rooms. This survey also found that trans students are twice as likely to not attend post-secondary education compared to cis peers and have lower GPA rates. The CDC in 2019 found that 35% of trans youth had attempted suicide compared to 6% of, of cis males and 9% of cis females. While the exact specifics of these statistics changed with each article in each year, it is still possible to see that LGBTQ students have been living in a consistently hostile school environment. And while these statistics only span just over a decade, we know that this is far from new. These students need protection. And one of the best ways to protect students from bullying and discrimination is education and awareness. However, LGBTQ content and students alike are being silenced and censored across the country. Which leads us to our next segment, Silencing and Censorship, where we get into the thick of the issue at hand. This section will be including first statistical data from each article, and then move into the personal accounts and examples given. In the Selection or Censorship article by Candy Pierce-Gary, she delves into the 2009 survey by the School Library Journal, in which librarians reported limiting access to books with LGBTQ themes by putting them in the adult section or placing it on restricted shelving. Others reported hiding controversial content by removing LGBTQ tags in search engines. Despite these librarians including LGBTQ content in their libraries, their access has been censored and the average student will be unable or at the very least unlikely to find them. However, the bulk of this article is actually found in the study of 120 Ohio public high schools in order to examine whether their librarians were self-censoring their content. Uh, in phase one of this study, the high schools were representing all geographic sectors of Ohio and a range of, quote, socioeconomic circumstances. The library collections were compared against two lists of 28 books, one list of LGBTQ books and one list of otherwise controversial books. The collections were searched to see if librarians were including controversial content, but not LGBTQ content, which would suggest self-censorship of queer content. 
Overall, the libraries in total owned just over one LGBTQ book for every three control books. Almost 70% of the libraries had less than a quarter of the LGBTQ books, while only 2% had less than a quarter of the control books. On the other hand, 80% of schools had more than half of the control books, while only 8% had more than half of the LGBTQ books. While the librarians were eager to include controversial content, even those that reported having a lower amount of said content, the LGBTQ content here is directly being censored. This next piece is a collection of three pieces titled Fight for Your Right, Censorship, Selections, and LGBTQ Literature, with two articles used in this project by Jen Kerwood and Megan Schliesman. Kerwood notes that in 2007, three of the ten most challenged books in schools contained gay themes, The Color Purple, Antitango Makes Three, and Perks of Being a Wallflower. Two novels discussing issues of LGBTQ rights and many other issues teens deal with like racism and drug issues, and one children's book showing positive representation of gay parents. Despite their relatable content for teens and kids alike, these books have been censored due to their LGBTQ content. Finally, for statistical data, we return to They Kind of Rely on the Library by Shannon Oltzman. In the 2007 GLSEN survey, most students said that they did not have access to LGBTQ materials in their school libraries. However, most of this article is actually a study of school librarians and their perspectives on whether libraries should include queer content and how they might go about it. Twelve of the 31 respondents reported some degree of hesitancy to include LGBT material in their own library. This article even admits that this study is not representative of the average rate of inclusion of the LGBTQ content in schools. If it was, this podcast wouldn't be happening right now. Despite this survey receiving participants overwhelmingly inclusive of queer content, almost half reported some degree of potential self-censorship. Next, I would like to give two specific examples of censorship brought up in my research, one that specifically struck me and one that brings me a little bit of hope. First, we return to selection or censorship by Gary. In 2010, 15-year-old Brent and his friends went to his school library in search of LGBTQ content. He was told by his librarian, quote, This is a school library. If you're looking for inappropriate titles, go to a bookstore. We will have more on Brent later. Finally, I looked at censorship online, one school librarian's journey to provide access to LGBT resources in, by Karen Stort Springs, which has a bit of a happier ending than these last two stories. This discusses Stuart Sprink's experience when her Tennessee school's online filtering system was blocking positive LGBTQ content from being accessed, which is bad enough without knowing that it didn't block, quote, reparative therapy websites. After fighting the filtering system, Education Networks of America, she was told that the teachers at her school would be given a special exemption from the filter, but only for the teachers and only by request. She was not satisfied with this poor treatment of this filter, so she contacted the ACLU and joined forces with them to take down the filter, and they won. Stuart Springs was very lucky in her removal of this filter, and she helped over 80% of schools in Tennessee and a comparable number in Indiana end the silencing and censorship of queer content by this online filter. This was actually the first article that I read and began to help me see why exactly this censorship was occurring. I began looking into what other causes had been reported, leading to our third segment, Causes. On what levels are obstacles occurring that censor and silence queer content in students? This will be organized primarily by article, though highlighting the crossovers witnessed between articles. Beginning with the collection of three articles, Fight for Your Right. The article by Megan Schliesman discusses that these issues are a mix of internal and external. The internal issues might be a lack of knowledge of how to request new curriculum materials, which prevents initiative by teachers, a fear of community or administrative outrage, or assumption that no one will stand up for them. 
The external issues include that teachers may be limited by administrative guidelines from the school or the district, or the fear of rejection or punishment that can cause self-censorship even if there isn't any risk recorded or present. The article by Jen Kerwood specifically talks about her experience as a teacher trying to include LGBT material in the curriculum and the experience of fellow teachers observing more of these external obstacles. She discusses how after changing jobs and moving back to her home state, she was given no classroom library and no budget to get one. She talks about how the process to add material or otherwise change the curriculum was complicated and remembers a teacher saying, quote, Jen, I don't think the curriculum has changed at all since you were in high school. She has no opportunity to include queer content or any new diverse content for that matter. She discusses how also administration blocked the changes to curriculum. She attempted to add the book Perks of Being a Wallflower, one of the ones in 2007 to be the most challenged book in school. She attempted to add this to the curriculum at the request of her students. However, the administration refused this request. She also requested the Kite Runner, which was denied for a rape scene, while the book Speak remained in the curriculum despite centering around rape as well. The significance of this censorship is summed up in her quote, Why could students read about male-on-female rape in Speak, but not male-on-male rape in The Kite Runner? This next article, Inclusion of Sexual Diversity in Schools' Teachers' Conception, by Elaine de Jesus Sousa et al., discusses both external and internal issues. This article discusses the study of a selection of Brazilian schools and their teachers to see whether teachers were including queer content and why. It has been found that most teachers were never made aware of LGBTQ inclusion and its importance during training, both prior to employment and continued training. The teachers in this study reported this as well, and that they had not been prepared to deal with sexual diversity in school. They discussed how their biggest obstacle was their own lack of knowledge. Additionally, they reported issues with, quote, content-based curriculums unlinked from social reality, meaning strict curriculums based around pre-selected content that does not include real-life issues like LGBT inclusion and obstacles from school administration and parents. More discussion of teacher trainings included in the School Practices to Foster LGBT Supportive Climate article by Gower et al., in which this article outlines the study of over 31,000 ninth and 11th grade students as to whether they felt supported in school, compared to six practices that administrators reported using to support students to see what methods actually help. One of the practices included is the inclusion of sexually diverse content. Very few of the schools in this study reported providing teachers with the, quote, professional development that includes LGBT content, which provides a barrier in teachers being able to access the content themselves. Returning to the article Selection or Censorship, we can look at the rest of that study on Ohio Public High Schools. Phase two of the study was to analyze demographic information about the librarians, the schools, and their communities in order to discover which variables, if any, contributed to the amount of LGBTQ content in their libraries. The 120 schools was reduced to 60, in which they took 30 of the libraries with the most evidence of censorship and 30 with the least evidence. Researchers found that statistically positive correlations between the number of LGBTQ titles owned and the library having a democratic-leaning community, a librarian certified in library media, and larger school enrollment, and a large minority population. This means that schools outside of these areas are more at risk of LGBTQ censorship due to their demographic area. The study also includes a third phase, where 12 of the librarians were interviewed about their personal perspectives on inclusion of queer content. Most of this segment didn't ultimately seem relevant to the final product of this research project, but I do want to include this direct quote, so I'm not the only one who has to experience it. Quote, 
Miss Montag of Bradbury School actually justified her lack of LGBTQ diversity in her collection due to her perception that there were no LGBTQ students in her school, pointing out that she also doesn't buy books with African-American characters because they don't have any black kids either. Frankly, I don't think I need to explain why this one is an issue. Finally, we close this section with quotes from They Kind of Rely on the Library, as these quotes stuck out to me the most as well. So these participants' quotes highlight their personal obstacles in including queer content in their own libraries, and all of these participants were given fake names to, uh, for anonymity. Ivy says, I want to say I'm all for it, but my community is a little stodgy, so you've got to look for what's going to push it without pushing it so far that community is going to be in a complete uproar about it. This highlights this librarian's internal issue of fear of community backlash, combined with the external issue of actual community uproar. Serena says what many queer people have probably heard before in some capacity. There are, no, are there are a few newer books that are coming out that are a little more, I don't want to say graphic per se, but a little more in your face than others. David Levithan was one recently who came out with Two Boys Kissing. The cover of that and the title of that, if it had, had a different name and a different cover, I would have put it in the collection in a heartbeat because my kids love David Levithan, but... I'm in a very rural, very conservative Christian area, and to put that on my shelf I think would have been pushing it a little too much. She does make a point in another quote mentioned that she isn't personally against these books. However, the mindset of shying away from queer content and fear that it's, quote, a little too much, has seeped into a supposed ally. LGBTQ content has been hatefully censored by administration and fearfully self-censored by staff. Even supportive allies of queer students have fallen victim to these internal and external obstacles. But if we've gone through all this work to figure out why this censorship is happening, we must prove to those causing it why this matters, leading us to causations, the effects of the censorship of LGBTQ content. This section is once again beginning with statistics and other research findings and ending with personal examples and quotes. They Kind of Rely on the Library gives a number of statistics giving the sheer number of students that this censorship affects. Researchers report that 3 to 10% of students self-identify as LGBT, with an estimated 2.5 million LGBT teens in the United States. Additionally, it is estimated that 80% of teens know someone who is LGBT, meaning this affects the vast majority of teens regardless of whether they are personally LGBT or know someone who is. Additionally, it has been found that inclusive, LGBT-positive curriculums have been correlated with less reports of victimization and higher rates of feeling safe in school from LGBT students. The article, School Practices to Foster LGBT Supportive Climate, backs up this claim, in which the study found that both LGBT and non-LGBT students reported lower levels of bullying at schools that implemented more supportive practices, including LGBT-positive representation. This is further supported by the article School Climate and Sexual and Gender Minority Adolescent Mental Health by Colvin, in which it was found that, quote, lower incidences of bullying were associated dis with displaying sexual slash gender minority content in a positive and inclusive way. With this direct quote, we lead into the next segment of quotes as well as personal examples of why this censorship matters. Further in the article, they kind of rely on the library. It is important for the mental health of queer teens to be given access to this content, as one of the librarians feels that, quote, a lack of LGBTQ-themed literature in school libraries can send a message to LGBTQ teens that the school library is not a place for them and that their lives and their concerns are not valued here. On mental health of students, Aaron says, quote, at this level, high school, you have a lot of kids who are really trying to figure out who they are and even who other people around them are. And I feel like it's important for them to be able to read about things that either they may be feeling or questioning. 
And I think that books give them the opportunity to have a kind of a private conversation with themselves about an issue. Finally, Allison says, quote, the highest suicide rate of teenagers is for GLBT kids, and so I don't want that to ever be on my conscience that I have not provided those kids with the same kind of materials that would make them realize that they're not alone in the world. In order to support the mental health of students, all three of these librarians agree that the, it is necessary to be given access to LGBTQ-themed content. Moving to the next article, you remember Brent from Selection or Censorship? Brent blogged about his experience, and his post was published in the School Library Journal. He discussed how important books were to him and his peers in helping them to accept their identity. The end of his blog post reads, quote, The world needs more librarians who are devoted to finding the right book to put in the right person's lap, not librarians who think they can decide what's inappropriate and what's not based on their personal prejudices. There are tons of gay teens struggling to find a group to fit into. LGBTYA Lit helps us realize that no, we aren't alone, and no, we aren't worthless. It helps us discover that we are part of the LGBT group, which includes tons of brilliant people doing brilliant things. Further on, Kevin Jennings, the founder of GLSCN, says that the library was the first place he found objective information about LGBTQ people and says that, quote, libraries saved his life. Queer students themselves are needing these resources accessible in libraries and beyond. Not only are they blogging about it, they're taking real action. In Censorship Online, Karen Stortzbrinks joined the ACLU's fight to remove this filter from the ENA, but she wasn't the first to contact the ACLU. Her students had beaten her to it. The letter she received was not in response to hers, but letting her know that her students had contacted the ACLU to complain about this unfair filter and had mentioned her as a safe staff member from their school. These students were so adamant about accessing this content that they reached out to a legal organization to pursue legal action. These students and many others knew how important it was to them that the censorship of LGBTQ content ends. Here, the students were able to pursue legal action, but what else can be done to help fix this issue? I explored this in the final section of my research, Solutions. This section is simply going by my article with the different ideas suggested. First, in Fight for Your Right, Megan Schliesman advocates for teachers to be proactive by preventing and discovering obstacles in adding LGBTQ content by making a point to learn the procedures of the school district to change or add to the curriculum so as to be prepared and also protect the First Amendment rights of students. She also brings up a study of 18 high school English teachers in New York and Georgia to examine the effect of censorship on their choice of content in which it was discovered support from colleagues was imperative for being able to include, quote, potentially problematic books. In the article, Inclusion of Sexual Diversity in Schools, the teachers in this study emphasized the importance of providing LGBTQ inclusion methods and training for teachers. More specifically, quote, the goal of this training would be reflecting, analyzing, and guiding in accordance with the peculiarities of each age group. The researchers also concluded that teachers must work through their own biases and seek, quote, dynamic teaching methodologies that promote students' development and theirs. Finally, the teachers discussed different educational activities and events that teachers and schools can host to include LGBTQ content in their curriculum. These ideas include videos, thematic seminars, lectures, and workshops, and internet research assignments, among many more. These suggestions are supported in the article, School Practices to Foster LGBT Supportive Climate. The study found that, quote, recommended practices include incorporating LGBT figures or characters in curriculum, professional development for teachers, and teacher support. LGBTQ students are forced to live in a hostile, unsupportive environment, as represented by over a decade of national surveys and personal accounts. 
these students are further being victimized by a school curriculum and other resources that are exclusionary of information, stories, and supports about and from those in their community. This censorship has both administrative and personal causes and has caused extensive harm to a significant portion of the student body. Solutions have been found to fight and prevent this censorship and has been proven to improve the lives of queer students. It is imperative that we recognize the harm being caused, the improvements that can be made, and the actions that must be taken to eliminate the censorship of queer content and improve the lives of LGBTQ students. And with that concludes the final episode of Season 1 of LGBTQSU and my Thought and Social Diversity final. Thank you to my lovely audience for an amazing year. Thank you to Professor McDonnie for giving me one of the first history-based classes I've ever enjoyed and for giving us the opportunity to not write a paper for the final. And I will see you all next semester.